Welcome to the Reformation Fellowship Podcast. Reformation Fellowship provides support and fellowship for all who would stand for the Reformation of Christ Church worldwide. We long to see the church revitalized by the gospel and seek to encourage all who share that vision. We gather together with gospel-hearted fellowship around gospel-minded theology. Welcome back to the Reformation Fellowship Podcast. I'm your host, Justin Schell, and today I am chatting with Scott Manich, Chair of Church History and the History of Christian Thought Department at Trinity Evangelical Divinity School. He is the author of Calvin's Company of Pastors, among other things. And today we're going to soak up all we can learning from this company of pastors in Geneva and how it might inform our own, uh, our own fellowships, our own denominations, our own institutions, how we can see life-giving relationships come together with um, robust Reformation theology in a way that strengthens pastors, leaders, and results in the gospel going to the places where it's not yet. So without further ado, let's jump into that conversation. Scott, thank you so much for joining us here on the Reformation Fellowship Podcast. It's great to be with you, Justin. Thank you so much. Yes, I'm really looking forward to our conversation today. Before we jump in, though, could you share a little bit about yourself for our listeners? Sure. Well, probably the most important detail is that I'm a follower of Jesus uh, by God's grace. And uh, I'm married to a wonderful wife named Kathy. We have two daughters, both of whom are scientists and out of the house. Um, For the last 23 years, I've been on the church history faculty at Trinity Evangelical Divinity School in Deerfield, Illinois. And I'm also ordained in the PCA. So those are some some tags for me. Wonderful. Wonderful. Well, as you know, we are spending this season of the Reformation Fellowship podcast looking at past and present examples of ministries, networks, friendships that helped foster the two words in our in our name, Reformation and Fellowship. And I'm excited to talk to you today about Calvin's Company of Pastors, what it was, how it helped bring together like-minded, like-hearted gospel ministers, how it then help launch them out into ministry and partnership and and really trying to see what we can learn today from them. So maybe to get us started, uh, tell us what was this company of pastors? When, how, why was it founded? Yeah, well, for those of us who've spent a little time studying John Calvin's life, you know that he arrives for the first time in Geneva in 1536, and he's in Geneva for about two and a half years, and then he's run out of town. He yeah. is forced to leave Geneva. He goes to Strasbourg. And then about two and a half years after that, he's he's kind of welcomed back to Geneva. And he's given kind of a, a free slate to uh, construct a city church that's reformed, not only doctrinally, but practically. Uh, so Reformation in terms of <clears throat> the structures of the church, but also in terms of, of transformed life by the gospel. And among the institutions that he established after returning from Strasbourg in 1541 was to establish an institution known as the Company of Pastors. Uh, and this was a group of ministers, the city pastors, along with those pastors who served in the rural 
countryside parishes surrounding Geneva, they would meet once a week on Friday mornings. Mm. And they had a whole variety of kind of tasks that they did. They were really responsible for overseeing the theological life of the city. Uh, they would hire and sometimes fire uh, clergy. So they were responsible for examining young pastoral candidates and in some cases, demitting them from the ministry. Mm. But over time, the company of pastors becomes a kind of international hub. Scholars have suggested it comes to be kind of the the brain center for international Calvinism, um, in large part due to Calvin's influence, his theological giftings, but also this group of usually, usually about from 17 to 20 men who met together on a regular basis Friday mornings to talk about the life of the church, to hold one another accountable, but also to strategize and to think more globally about the reformed movement outside of Geneva. So Geneva really becomes kind of a hub of an international reform movement. Uh, and the company of pastors, this collection of ministers in Geneva are at the center of all that. Yeah. Yeah. Wonderful. Now, now correct me if I'm wrong. Um, it was the company of pastors connected as well with the, um, with the school, with the training that was happening there in Geneva. Did those relate a little bit or, or a lot? Yeah, over time they will. Uh, the company of pastors was formed in Geneva in the mid 1540s okay. and Calvin's Academy or the Geneva Academy isn't founded until 1559. Mm. So in the early years, the uh, company of pastors, um, you know, it's kind of a working group with, uh, Calvin and his colleagues getting together behind closed doors. They're talking, they're talking theology. They're holding one another accountable. Um, they're the interface between the church and the city magistrates. And again, they have this international dimension where they're thinking about the global church. And many times they're over time, they come to, um, be sought out by churches in Scotland or the Netherlands or in France asking for theological advice or even asking for pastoral candidates. So the company of pastors will be sending out young pastoral candidates to reform churches in other corners of Western Europe. Now, once the academy is founded in 1559, uh, the professors of theology who are uh, on the faculty at the academy will also join the company of pastors. So they'll be members of the company of pastors. And the company of pastors will provide kind of theological oversight, uh, both over uh, uh, student life, but also the curriculum of the academy. Uh, so, yeah, there is kind of a connection over time between the two, although they're, they're really distinctive mm. institutions. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's, that's, that's good. Could you tell us a little bit about where... May, at least in the early years, where did these pastors come from? We know maybe Calvin's story of getting there, but uh, what about the others that were a part of the early group? You know, this this is a really interesting story, I think. Uh, in many regions of Western Europe during the age of the Reformation, the first generation of clergy were converted Catholics. They were priests 
mm. who, as it were, flipped when a territory became Protestant, they became Protestant or they became Lutheran. And this is true as a general rule in most corners of Reformation Europe, but it wasn't the case in Geneva. Mm. When Geneva became a, a Protestant city in 1536, uh, the vast majority of Catholic clergy left the city, the monks, the priests, the mm. cathedral canons, they left the city, creating this enormous leadership vacuum in Geneva. Mm. And that's one of the reasons why Guillaume Farrell was so keen on convincing John Calvin to stay in Geneva. Gene uh, Calvin, you'll remember, was, a, was from France. He was from northern France, from Noyon. And Farrell is trying to convince this religious refugee to stay in Geneva to help build the city church. And in the decades that followed, um, hundreds, indeed thousands of, of French refugees will be fleeing persecution in France and coming uh, to cities like Geneva. Mm. And many of these refugees are, are very well-trained humanists. They're, some of them have theological degrees. And so Calvin will recruit a lot of his countrymen, a lot of these French pastors, mm. these French um, students to join the company of pastors. So, uh, and again, this is pretty unique of Geneva. Um, during the first 60 or 70 years of the company of pastors existence, there are only one or two or three local men, local Genevans who are on the pastoral company. Uh, the vast majority of Calvin's colleagues are these foreigners, either Frenchmen, or they've come from Savoy, or they've come from uh, other areas of Switzerland or from Germany. That creates real problems because many of the citizens in Geneva looked at the company of pastors as a, as a group of foreigners, mm. which created its own problems. But speaking positively, it meant that Calvin had a circle of highly trained, gifted men, most of whom were quite loyal to him. Mm. So it created a kind of clerical culture of, uh, of uh, pastors in Geneva who many of them had had the same kind of refugee experience as had Calvin and were uh, fiercely committed to the Reformed faith and mm. to the, Calvin's vision of planting a, a Reformed church in Geneva that was Reformed according to the Word of God, both theologically and practically. Mm. Mm. Yeah, I think that we often think of uh, Reformation leaders, we, we know that they, they weren't alone. We know that they weren't just one guy in Geneva or one guy in Wittenberg, uh, but we often don't know the stories, even the names sometimes of, of their partners. Um, could you maybe pick one or two of the, of the company um, and, and just introduce us to, to a couple of your favorites? Well, I could go on and on and on. In my, my research, I've, I've tried to isolate every single um, man who served either within the city church or in the surrounding territorial churches mm -hmm. uh, that were part of Calvin's company of pastors up to 1609. So about a 70-year period. And mm -hmm. I, I forget the exact number, but somewhere around 135 different men served uh, as part of the company of pastors during that, during that period of time. And of course, we all have heard of the, the name John Calvin, John Calvin's uh, a household name. But at any given time, uh, John Calvin was assisted by six to eight other men who were part of the 
city clergy. So they would have serviced the three parish churches within the city walls. But in Calvin's day, uh, Geneva included not only the territory within the city walls, but around 15 square miles surrounding the city walls. So these are um, rural towns, hamlets, uh, housing around 12 parish reformed parishes. And so those men were also part of Calvin's company of pastors. And they included uh, names that uh, are almost entirely forgotten. That Their names appear in the city archives, but almost nowhere, nowhere else. And just speaking generally, one of the wonderful discoveries of, of my work was just the, the rich legacy of these unnamed pastors in the countryside who uh, had a really tough go of it. You know, they weren't paid very well. A lot of them had to supplement their income by uh, viticulture or by farming or by raising cattle. Uh, a lot of them were physically uh, threatened by Savoyard uh, uh, soldiers, vigilantes who were on the hunt for these reformed pastors in the countryside. They lived a very precarious, a very difficult life. And Consequently, a lot of them wanted to be transferred to the city, which was seen as being more urbane. They were pastors within the city were better paid. Um, but nonetheless, this, you know, really a heroic compliment of, um, of countryside pastors who served alongside Calvin and really attempted to bring the gospel and the Reformation to bear into the more traditional uh, lives of people in the, in the countryside. And if I, if I just make kind of this larger point, scholars who've done work on the rural Reformation have noted um, that really the, if it weren't for these countryside pastors, these unknown, uh, almost forgotten pastors in the countryside, the Reformation really wouldn't have sunk deep roots hmm. in many of the territories in Western Europe that it did. Now, to be sure, the Reformation was usually an urban event. But in places like Geneva, uh, Calvin had a whole company of colleagues who are working diligently in the countryside along with him. I think of a pastor named Jean Gervais, who was in a, one of these rural parishes for most of his career and faced extraordinary dangers, again, from soldiers, from Catholic soldiers who had, on one occasion, even boarded up his church and demanded that he leave, um, uh, facing the the challenges of climate, and again, uh, poverty, as he cared for people in the countryside. And then there are other ministers whose names are somewhat better known, but again, to most lay people today have been forgotten. Uh, someone like Simon Goulart, who was a colleague with, along with Theodore Beza, he was a second generation reformer after Calvin, mm. who was um, really a remarkable man. And one of the things I found so intriguing and so uh, encouraging about his life. Uh, he was a deeply devout Christian man, and he wrote extensively um, on pastoral themes and pastoral topics. He published poetry and, and devotional works. Uh, he thought a lot about questions of life and death. He wrote a whole book on uh, the art of dying well. Hmm. Um, he published these wonderful they were called Christian discourses, where he's reflecting on all aspects of the human life, 
oftentimes coming back to the theme of suffering in the Christian life mm. and how the Christian life is always lived in a sense under the cross. Mm. So whether Jean Gervais in the countryside or Simon Goulard, who was a city pastor who um, was quite prolific as an author, we really have an, an interesting collection of very courageous, many very gifted men who worked alongside Calvin in the ministry in Geneva. Mm. That's wonderful. That's wonderful. Could you, I mean, we've talked about some of the, some of the folks in the, the, uh, in the company of pastors. Um, what would their, in a sense, overall fellowship be like? What kinds of relationships um, and, and partnerships existed between this, this group and maybe other groups, if, if, uh, if you want to comment on, on that. Yeah, Justin, that's a really good question. And again, this was something that I, I found so interesting in my research. Uh, you know, Calvin recognized the importance of establishing institutions to preserve a theological legacy. Mm -hmm. I think sometimes today, as evangelicals, we can be a little dismissive of the value of institutions. We've been harmed by them, or we recognize that institutions can easily lose their way. They can lose their focus. They can lose their theological moorings. Mm -hmm. And that's all true, certainly true. But from Calvin's vantage point, he had this idea of creating institutions to preserve his theological legacy, or better, better said, a biblical theological legacy in Geneva beyond his lifetime. Mm. And so one of the things that Calvin did um, is he builds a city church. He creates institutions within that, within that city church that really allowed for pastoral collegiality, pastoral accountability, uh, pastoral encouragement. So let me give some examples. We've talked about the company of pastors. And again, this is a, a gathering of pastors uh, every Friday morning that is doing kind of the work of the church in the city and beyond. Mm -hmm. And uh, this would include city pastors, but also these countryside pastors who come, if, they're, if they were able, they would come to the city for these weekly meetings. Immediately after, uh, or I should say immediately before the meeting of the company of pastors, Calvin established something that was known as the Congregation the congregation mm -hmm. uh, on Friday mornings immediately before the uh, company of pastor meeting. Uh, if, if you're familiar with what Zwingli did in Zurich, an institution he formed known as the Prophetsai, this is similar in Geneva where every Friday morning, pretty early, the city pastors and any countryside pastors who are available uh, along with professors from the academy, along with interested lay people, would gather for an hour and a half or two hours to have kind of a public Bible study. Mm. Uh, different pastors would take turns to uh, present a text, uh, first a translation into French, but then they would talk about the Greek or the Hebrew of that text. Uh, they would deal with some interpretive questions, theological questions related to the text. Uh, and then they would make some points of application. Then they would sit down and this, their colleagues, pastoral colleagues and professors from the academy, then would have a kind of a lengthy conversation about um, 
both that biblical text, but also the presentation by the pastor. So this was a way that pastors together were uh, sharpening iron, mm-hmm. uh, encouraging one another, both mm-hmm. as interpreters of the word of God, but also as those applying God's word for God's people. Yeah. Uh, so it was a kind of professional Bible study. It was continuing ed for pastors. Mm-hmm. Again, this was done every Friday morning. Uh, and it was an opportunity for pastors to sharpen their skills, both exegetically and theologically. Uh, Calvin, as the moderator of the company of pastors, would kind of convene these gatherings and sometimes would have a do a lion's share of the of the uh, uh, evaluation and assessment. But at least in theory, everyone was welcome to participate. And again, clergy would take turns week to week uh, providing leadership of this communal Bible study. Mm. One other thing that Calvin instituted, another institution was known as the uh, public censure, um, sometimes uh, called the quarterly censure. Four times a year, immediately before, just a few days before the Genevans would celebrate the Lord's Supper. In Geneva, they celebrate the the Lord's Supper four times a year. And several days before the the quarterly communion services, the pastors would again come together uh, behind closed doors for mutual um, not so much mutual encouragement, but we might say uh, mutual accountability. Uh, cities, uh, pastors from the city, but also pastors from the countryside would come together behind closed doors and they would basically deal with their stuff. If they had a resentments against one another, or if they had concerns that one of their colleagues wasn't working hard enough, mm-hmm. or if there was concerns by a book that someone from the company of pastors had written, They would address those issues face-to-face, life-on-life, behind closed doors. And the vision is that before we call God's people to come to the table of the Lord, we need to deal with our own sin, and we need to deal with our own resentments. Mm. We need to kind of air out points of disagreement, points of difference within the company of pastors so that we ourselves in good conscience can celebrate the Lord's Supper. Uh, in a few days to come. So there you have uh, a kind of mutual accountability and just kind of developing this more fully. The very fabric of Calvin's vision of of pastoral ministry in Geneva with institutions like the Company of Pastors, the Quarterly Censure, or the Congregation, built within this are basic assumptions that pastors need to be held accountable. Mm. Uh, Pastors need to be encouraged. Uh, pastors need to be able to speak into one another's lives. They need to know each other. They need to know about one another's families. They need to be uh, able to speak truth into a colleague who's struggling or to a colleague who's perhaps wandering in his uh, theological convictions. Mm. So uh, pastoral accountability, pastoral encouragement, uh, pastoral collegiality are, are part of the warp and woof of what Calvin envisioned in his company of pastors and these various institutions that promoted um, uh, pastoral work. And um, during the the time that I've studied from 1536 to 1609, uh, pastoral longevity within the city walls is absolutely amazing. Mm. Uh, The average pastor is in office for 25, 20, 25, 30 years. Uh, And I think in part, 
that longevity and in large part the unity that was experienced among the pastors was because of uh, these kinds of institutions that were focused on accountability, uh, encouragement, and collegiality. Friends, we want to take just a moment out of our conversation to tell you about the upcoming Reformation Fellowship Conference in Atlanta, Georgia, November 11th through 12th. Our theme, the theme that we will gather around is the gospel, our hope, our banner. We want to come together, celebrate the gospel, unite around the gospel, and be encouraged in the gospel. You will hear plenary addresses from Michael Reeves, Dane Ortland, Phil Riken, Jeff Norris. You will also select a track to participate in at the conference. There's a track for any Christian who just wants to go deeper in their faith. There's a track for pastors, a track for women, and a track for theologians and scholars. And the hope for these tracks is to grow you, to develop you wherever you're at, whatever way you're serving the church, but also to encourage you by connecting you with others in a similar place. Those tracks are each led by wonderful theologian leaders, and we just know that you're going to be encouraged. So that is November 11th and 12th in Atlanta, Georgia, hosted by Perimeter Church. It will be the first Reformation Fellowship Conference in the U.S., and we will gather around the gospel, our hope, our banner. Everything you need to know, you can find at reffellowship.org. That's R-E-F fellowship.org. We hope to see you there. It's great. You know, it's, we often see, as, as one can imagine, when the pastors are healthy, the church tends to be healthy. Um, when the pastors, the leaders are, are healthy, the church can um, is more likely to, to, to be fruitful, to be uh, on mission. And so how did, what, what did ministry look like among the, the company, both in, in terms of, you, you've mentioned some of what maybe they did in the city, what they did together, but in terms of their, what was their hope for the church? Um, not just locally, but but uh, but beyond. What maybe a better way to ask that? What sort of missional or gospel impact uh, were they hoping for, and were they able to see? Yeah, Justin. Maybe I can go a couple different directions with that that good question. Because first of all, maybe I I could say a little bit about what pastors actually did as yeah. part of their vocation. Now, clearly, they're they were part of a company of pastors. They were part of a a group of men who together were committed and had been set aside for gospel ministry. Uh, the life of a pastor in Geneva was an enormous challenge. It was uh, most of the pastors, first of all, all the pastors that made up the pastoral staff, they, they all preached from time to time, at least mm-hmm. once or twice a week. And some pastors like Calvin averaged, you know, five or six, five or six sermons a week. Mm-hmm. Uh, in addition to preaching, they're engaged in pastoral care, uh, visitation. Uh, Calvin established a, a, um, a, a process of annual household visitation shortly before the, the uh, celebration of the Eucharist at Easter. Uh, so pastors are involved in the ministry of the word. 
which is expressed both through preaching, but also through pastoral care, celebration of the sacraments, of course, catechesis. Uh, they're parts of these pastoral companies. They're also involved in church discipline. Uh, and another institution that Calvin established in Geneva was known as the consistory, which met on Thursday mornings every, every week, along with the elders. So we have uh, lay elders along with the uh, city clergy and the countryside clergy who would come together to do the work of church discipline, mm. which from Calvin's perspective is one more ministry of the word, bringing God's word to bear on the, uh, on the aspects of, of uh, where people are struggling, their sin, mm -hmm. rebellion against God, the, the brokenness of relationships, trying to bring God's word of truth and healing and mm -hmm. repentance to bear on the lives of people who were struggling. Yeah. Uh, again, every Thursday morning. And just incidentally, uh, the consistory uh, called uh, uh, to, its, to its chambers not only lay people, but also clergymen. The, a number of pastors were disciplined by Calvin's consistory. Mm -hmm. So they were not immune from that kind of uh, disciplinary accountability. Yeah. So, so thinking in terms of kind of the day-to-day -day work that pastors did, uh, within Geneva, and certainly they were called to be ministers of the gospel within a city church. But one of Calvin's you know, extraordinary um, qualities is he has this much larger global vision for the church. Mm. And Geneva, during his ministry and in the decades after his lifetime in Geneva, the, the Genevan church, again, assumes a kind of leadership role over international uh, reformed Christianity. That doesn't mean there weren't other branches of the reformed church in places like Strasbourg or Zurich or Basel. Uh, but uh, Geneva really does become a kind of theological hub, a clearinghouse, and also a, a training ground for men who will go and serve churches in places like Scotland and Hungary and uh, France, to be sure, Germany, the Netherlands, the list goes on. So a little more about that global or missional aspect of uh, the company of pastors and Calvin's um, ministry efforts in Geneva. Uh, in the 1950s, uh, a very highly regarded Reformation scholar named Robert Kingdon uh, wrote a doctoral dissertation looking at how Calvin's company of pastors uh, recruited, trained, and deployed young uh, reformed ministers to France to serve as missionaries. And scholars have done a fair amount of work on just this topic since uh, Dr. Kingdon's dissertation. And now the general assessment is somewhere around 220 uh, young reformed ministers, uh, many of whom had fled to Geneva as refugees, were recruited by Calvin or by the company of pastors. They were trained either uh, through lectures by Calvin or Beza, or they were trained at the academy after 1559. And then they were deployed. They were sent into France, into Catholic France, uh, to plant churches and to provide leadership over congregations that were springing up all over uh, Catholic France. Mm. Uh, this effort begins in 1555. The first Reformed church is planted in Paris in 1555. By 1562, 
scholars estimate there were somewhere around 1300 reformed churches in France. Mm -hmm. Not all of them uh, the result of this missional effort of Calvin in Geneva, but many of them coming from Geneva. Mm -hmm. So uh, if we think of missions in terms of crossing an ocean or a cross-cultural engagement, then this doesn't count. Uh, But I think from Calvin's perspective, missions is all about bringing the gospel to gospel-deprived areas. Mm-hmm. And that's exactly what was happening in this context. Geneva becomes a kind of missional center. Uh, several scholars have even described the company of pastors as a kind of uh, missionary society mm-hmm. focused on strategically planting pastors in gospel-deprived areas. And certainly France was one of those. Mm. Yeah, that's awesome. Well. I, I can start to think through the company of pastors, the their vision, their hopes, what what, what God was doing in and among them, and, and 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 start trying to apply that to my life or my church or a, a, a network today. But um, what would you say are some some key takeaways that you you feel like need to be highlighted? Um, when you when you think of Calvin's Geneva and particularly the company of pastors um, for today, and, and whether that's just a group of friends who are gospel ministers trying to encourage each other, or maybe um, what, what's a takeaway for an institution today who's who shares that aim of raising up gospel ministers and sending them out to gospel needy places. Well, I think there are a ton of really important points of application. Mm. I mean, most obviously, uh, Calvin recognizes, and I think we need to recognize too, and you've already alluded to this, Justin, that healthy pastors need collegiality, they need accountability, they need encouragement. Mm. Uh, Lone Ranger pastors don't last very long Mm. in in a, in a mystery context, as a general rule, mm. uh, those who are called to pastoral ministry need colleagues who can encourage them, uh, who can hold them accountable, uh, who can serve as friends, honest friends who can speak life and speak truth into their lives. We need one another. Mm. Pastors need other pastors. And they need contexts in which they can be truly vulnerable and truly honest. Uh, now, there are some denominations that have, whether they're presbyteries or classes, or they have, they have formal structures that make, at least provide the possibility for those kinds of life-on-life, uh, life, uh, clergy-on-clergy, pastor-on-pastor kinds of relationships. Mm. Um, but a lot of pastors, a lot of faithful Gospel ministers don't have those kinds of contexts mm-hmm. uh, denominationally. And I think, you know, Calvin's creativity may well encourage us to think about how could I establish a company of pastors in my, uh, my local community? I've, mm-hmm. after publishing my book on Calvin's company of pastors, I've received a number of letters from pastors from, from Britain, England, as well as from California and various corners of North America who said, you know what, we, we've started this, we've, we started doing this. Mm. 
we've kind of decided that we we want to create a company of pastors where we're meeting maybe not weekly maybe once a month but we're meeting regularly and we're giving each other permission to uh to uh, speak honestly into our lives to share honestly with one another to admit our struggles and our fears our disappointments um so giving one another permission to be honest uh, and to ask the hard questions. Uh, so one doesn't have to be in a ecclesial setting or a denominational setting where that institution's been established formally. I think I think we can all take initiative to to establish those kinds of health giving relationships. Mm. You know, I think too, Calvin understood the importance of continuing education. Mm. Uh, again, we mentioned the the. Uh, weekly congregation where pastors would get together and they would listen to one another's sermons and provide critique and they'd wrestle with texts together. Um, uh, On some occasions they would scold one another for, for colleagues laziness. Uh, So there was accountability there for sure, but just encouragement that we all need to learn more that none Mm -hmm. of us comes out of seminary as a finished product. We need to continue to learn. And one of the best ways or places to learn is within a community of people who we trust. Mm -hmm. Community of people who know us by name. They know about our families. They love us. They want what's best for us and for our ministries. And they'll they'll speak to us truthfully and in ways that can can truly encourage us. So pastors need accountability. They need collegiality. They need encouragement. Pastors need uh, people who are speaking honestly into their ministry, who can encourage them to continue to grow and mature as gospel ministers and as interpreters of the word of God. Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe one one takeaway that I, uh, actually, I guess I could mention, I think Calvin's recognition of, of at least the potential good for institutions mm-hmm. uh, to preserve a theological legacy. And again, with all the incumbent dangers uh, of institutions that can go bad or can go wrong, but nonetheless, you know, institutions are uh, not necessarily a bad thing. And that some of us perhaps have to think, or need to think more creatively about how we can create institutions that can encourage health for, for pastors. Mm. One, one way in which I think Calvin is not a good example for us uh, and as I've, I've thought about, I, th- I think in so many ways, Calvin's company of pastors and Calvin's vision of ministry is, is, co- is so very helpful. Mm. But Calvin, um, I, I don't think, had a, a robust doctrine of um, equipping lay people for ministry. Mm. Uh, now, to be sure, and scholars have pointed this out, as they should, Calvin does have a vision for lay eldership within Geneva, and there are lay deacons as well. Um, but in terms of one of, you know, from Ephesians 4, one of a pastor's primary responsibilities is to equip God's people for work of ministry. And I think there was a kind of, from our perspective today, a, a kind of latent clericalism mm-hmm. that uh, I'm not sure um, uh, promotes congregational health mm-hmm. uh, uh, as perhaps in a different context, in a different age, uh, it wasn't it wasn't 
um, seen quite so acutely. And the other thing that I would, uh, if I could be so so presumptuous as to give Calvin advice, you know, I don't think he had a vision for um, indigenous ministry as he could have. Mm. Uh, there's something a little sad about a company of pastors that's almost exclusively foreign in Geneva. And I understand Calvin, you know, is welcoming from France and from other corners of Reformation Europe, these very gifted, well-trained, many well-educated men who are fiercely committed to the Reformed faith. And uh, it makes sense that he'd want to recruit them to join his pastoral team. I don't think Calvin was as intentional as he could have been about raising up local leaders. Mm. And that that plays out in some relatively negative ways over the next decades. I think Mm. for one, it it bred unnecessary distrust oftentimes between local congregations and uh, the pastors of the city who were seen as being foreigners. They were, they were transplants from elsewhere. Yeah. So anyway, those are some thoughts. Uh, yeah. Ranging, ranging along the, the waterfront of points of application for today. Yeah, no, thank you for that. And thank you for your willingness to, to go out on a limb and critique Calvin. Even, oh. <laughs> even Calvin. Well, there's so much about Calvin I, I dearly love and have been yeah. so greatly blessed by. So, but on those points, I, yeah, I think uh, as, as with any of us, we, uh, we're, we're people of our time and, and uh Right. Again, we need we need the perspectives of others to round us out. Yeah. Well, Scott, this has been such a a helpful conversation for me, and I'm sure for our listeners. And uh, as our time wraps up here, I want to thank you again for for joining us here on the Reformation Fellowship podcast and sharing uh, your expertise with us. And uh, yeah, I'm praying that. Um, the lessons learned, uh, the lessons learned from the company of pastors that we would see uh, new companies popping up, um, new relationships, new institutions that would um, similarly strengthen pastors as well as uh, help get the gospel to the gospel needy places in the world. So thank you for joining us. Well, thanks so much. It was great being with you. Thank you so much for joining us here on the Reformation Fellowship Podcast. We pray that this time together has been a blessing to you. The Reformation Fellowship is a ministry of union. And so all that we do, we hope it helps you to delight in God, grow in Christ, serve the church, and bless the world. If that is your hope, that is your desire, then friends, welcome to the fellowship.